Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recording. To the Batmobile. Are you watching Star Trek? We would be honored if you would join us. Please proceed with extreme caution. Now, Geek Universe, the weekly show on sci-fi and superheroes, fantasy and horror, and much more. Importing preferences and calibrating virtual environments. I bet my Wookiee. Are you insane? Here he is, the only talk show host who doesn't believe in the no-win scenario, your host for Geek Universe, Jim Yelton. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and children of all ages, welcome to another edition of Geek Universe. I am your host, Jim Yelton, and we are coming to you live on tape from Geek Headquarters. And it's been kind of a sad week throughout the Geek Universe as probably one of the most iconic figures in all of pop culture, Stan Lee, passed away earlier this week. And we are going to be talking about Stan, his characters, his legacy, and so much more throughout this episode. And it's funny because... Uh, One of the great things about social media and the internet now is that when you lose somebody that's as legendary and iconic as Stan Lee, you're able to go online and see all of the memories that people have, Uh, not just people that worked with Stan, uh, but people that knew him, and just the fans, people like you and I who grew up uh, reading Marvel Comics and reading all of these great characters that Stan had a hand in creating. And it's just been a a really awesome week to see the outpouring of emotion and, and memories that people have of the great Stan Lee. And one of the things, when I was putting the show together this week, I threw out everything that we were going to do once I knew that Stan had passed and that we were going to do an entire show about Stan. I knew one of the things that I wanted to do was highlight one of my favorite things about Stan, and that's just the sheer passion that he had for talking about what he he did uh, Marvel Comics, the characters, and what a great medium comic books were and are. And one of the things that he built up was trying to make comic books a better more understood art form and a better form of literature for the masses and digging around I was able to find uh, with the help of friend of the show and my my collaborator on Extraordinary Steve Newton passed along this great interview that was on YouTube and we're going to play some clips of that. This interview was done for a television program in the mid-70s. I believe it's 1975 when this was recorded and uh, it covers a, a lot of great stuff about Stan's back background, how we got into comics, and they really touch on uh, some of the characters. But keep in mind, I mean, this is a a 40-year-old, 40-plus-year-old clip, but it's a great thing to kind of jump back in the Wayback Machine and get vintage Stan Lee. So we're going to share that with you now, as you and I and the rest of the geek universe remember the great Stan Lee. Back in 1960, Stan Lee, the publisher of Marvel Comics, created the Marvel group, so to speak, and some characters that were absolutely bigger than life. So the Marvel Age uh, came of age in the 1960s. The Marvel Age of comics. Yeah, (laughs) I guess it all started with the Fantastic Four. That was the first of the new wave of comics. I have to confess, I don't know who they are. Well, this is a group of four superheroes, and we tried, this is when we really tried to be different and more original than comics had been. Mm -hmm. So, uh, among the many firsts, uh, in the quartet was a, a man and his girlfriend, but we didn't just make her a girlfriend who didn't know that he was really the man with the cape, you see. We made them engaged. 
And uh, in later issues, they got married, and presently they have a child. Oh, nice. And they were in love, and they didn't have secret identities. Yes. Then there was the uh, obligatory teenage character. Now, I, along with all other red-blooded, normal American people, hate teenagers, which is perfectly <laughs> natural. Teenagers are, you know, until they become real people, they're horrible. Absolutely. <laughs> so I was not about to make a teenager who would be like Robin is to Batman. Yes. See, I've always felt, if I were a super hero, I would never run around with some little 14-year-old kid. At the very least, people would talk. Yes. You know? I mean, if I were an adult, I'd, well, anyway, so <laughs> we had to have a teenager in the story, but what I did, I made him an itch. I made a pest. He was rotten, and he kept saying, hey, I'm not getting enough money to be in this group. I want to cut out, or I don't want to go fight these criminals. I want to play with my motorcycle. And, you know, a real kid. And yeah. That's what we tried to do with our mm -hmm. characters. And we have another character who's sort of a semi-monster called The Thing. See, what happened? They all went in a rocket ship. They wanted to be the first ones to reach the moon. Mm -hmm. And the leader of the group, Reed Richards, is a scientist and an inventor, and he created this rocket ship. And uh, they were affected by cosmic rays on their journey to the moon, and they crash-landed back on Earth, and the cosmic rays changed their bodies and gave them superhuman abilities. One of them turned into a misshapen, very powerful, ugly guy. We call him the Thing. And the Thing was always saying things like, I want to cut out of this group because the Reed Richards is getting all the glory, and I'm better than he is, and I'm stronger, and why should I take orders from that creep? In other words, I tried to make them typical Americans. They were surly, <laughs> insolent, resentful, rotten, jealous, greedy, and the audience loved him. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to find out uh, about some more of your characters. Uh, for example, Spider-Man, uh, whom we mentioned before, the Hulk and the Silver Surfer and Doctor Strange and, of course, uh, Captain Marvel himself, and not to mention Captain America and the Submariner. Right. Or is it Submariner? Submariner. You oh, said it right. Uh, you're one of the few. Am I glad. <laughs> Stanley, the publisher of Marvel Comics, has more than one character, and I guess uh, the proliferation of characters is what made the tremendous number, the volume of comic books that you're publishing now, not only in America, but throughout the world. Could you tell us about some of the characters? We've mentioned the Hulk and Spider-Man and, of course, the Fantastic Four, which was the beginning back in 60 of these super characters, and the Silver Surfer. But Doctor Strange is the one that interests me as a person who knows nothing about him at all. Before I leave this studio, you will be so conversant with Dr. Strange, if I can help it. Uh, he, after we had all the other characters, we had the Fantastic Four, then we had Spider-Man, who was a teenager, who he's really our most popular one, then the Hulk, um, well, after, and Thor, the mighty Thor, who's the god of thunder, and on and on. At one point, I said, gee, we don't have a magician, and kids are interested in magic. So I thought we would get somebody... And it seemed to me Dr. Strange was a good name for a magician, and we subtitled him the Master of the Mystic Arts. Anyway, he one of the things about Dr. Strange, he visits other dimensions, and he can bring his ectoplasmic self out of his physical body. But he also, as all good magicians must, utters incantations and chants, you see. If he wants to something mysterious to happen, something supernatural, he will say, by the crimson bands of Sitarok, so let it be, or by the hoary ho hordes of Hoggoth, you will vanish. You see, and he, he has these expressions. Well, what, what happened was, one time, or many times, when I would lecture at college, kids would get up and they'd say, hey, Stan, we've been doing a lot of research 
about these incantations that Dr. Strange mumbles. And we have found that they were influenced by ancient Druid writings. Now, come on, fess up. You stole that from the ancient Druids, didn't you? Did you? Well, I know about as much about Druidry as I do about brain surgery, you know. I made the expressions up, yes. but it made me realize how... The readers take these things seriously, and they will look for hidden meanings, and they will look for things that you don't even know are there. It's also very gratifying, because it gives you the feeling that however nutty the work you're doing may be, the reader is finding some element of realism and sincerity in it. I can't tell you how many college students do term papers about Dr. Strange's incantations, about the symbolism and the mythology involved in the mighty Thor who lives in Asgard, home of the Norse gods, about Spider-Man's personal problems and home life, about the religious significance of the Silva Surfer, who we could devote a whole show to the Silva Surfer because there are so many complex and I'd like to think profound elements in the Silva Surfer stories. And... Um, I guess even though comics are thought of mainly as a children's medium, I guess I get the biggest kick of knowing that not only do the kids like the books, but in some way we seem able to reach older readers on another level, and the college kids are so much into these comics also. And a few minutes ago, we mentioned that uh, Marvel Comics, because they've become a part of America, a part of literature, if you will, and I know that will make some English professors squirm, uh, they have a, a tangible value. The early Marvel Comics uh, original publications are, are bringing tremendous dollars. How much? In the hundreds, and in some rare cases, in the thousands. It is absolutely incredible. I would say if someone were knowledgeable uh, in this area, it is probably a much more lucrative pr pr uh, hobby to collect comics than stamps, mm -hmm. in some cases, than to buy stocks. Because, for example, we have one book called Howard the Duck, kind of a crazy new comic we started. It's a serious book. It's about year? this little duck. started last year. Oh. This way, or, yeah, the end mm -hmm. of last year. Mm -hmm. About a little duck who looks like a duck, wears clothes, smokes a cigar. He just <laughs> happens to come from a planet where everybody looks like ducks. Sure. He got to America. Anyway, the kids love it. They find a lot of satire. In yes. It. I wonder why. And um, <laughs> when the book first came out, you couldn't buy a copy because the collectors were running to the newsstands and buying up everything the dealers had available. Within a few months, this book, which originally sold for 25 cents, is now selling for $5, $7, $10, whatever the traffic will bear. In and less than two years? Yeah. Oh, in less than one year. In a few months, it has gone from 25 cents to $5 and up. And this is what is happening with comics. To, now, not all comics. Howard the Duck is a special situation. But, for instance, a first issue of Spider-Man is selling in the hundreds of dollars. How about and Captain Marvel himself? Same thing. All of those books are that way. And, you know, you, you said one thing a moment ago. I just want to mention when you said about content, uh, literature and some professors would squirm. I cannot tell you how many professors teach comic books as part of their contemporary literature courses or popular culture courses are becoming bigger and bigger. I'm actually an, adju an adjunct professor at Bowling Green University yes. teaching popular literature. This uh, coming spring, I'm going to be teaching a course, a seminar in comics at Yale University. And there are professors all over the country who are friends of mine. There's one author, Asa Berger, at San Francisco State College, who yes. just wrote 
a book about television, as a matter of fact, who gives big mention to comic books in virtually every book he writes and has written books about our comic. He wrote a book called The Comic Script American, and he considers comic books, as do many professors, as equally as relevant and as important as novels, television, the ballet, opera, or any other form of the media. It's see. refreshing to know that because 20, 30, 40 years from now, as we found, the comic books are a part of today's uh, Absolutely. culture. Absolutely. And they have a tremendous impact yes. on young people today. They, um, it's a funny thing. Uh, very often I'll come to stations like this and, and do interviews. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone, let's say, to a television station, and the cameraman, somebody in his 30s maybe or late 20s, will walk over to me. It makes me feel very old. because they say, hey, Stan, gee whiz, I've been reading your stuff since I was 14. Tell me, how's the Hulk doing today and so forth? And this wasn't the case many years ago, but somehow with the new type of comics, better written, more relevant, the readers are not leaving the comics or losing their interest as they reach the age of 14, let's say. Hello, everybody. This is Ming Chen from AMC's Comic Book Men. You're listening to my favorite show, Geek Universe. Hey, gang. If you're sitting in your car or at home or at work or any other place that you listen to Geek Universe every weekend and you're enjoying the show, go support us on Patreon. There's a lot of cool rewards that are show-specific like our t-shirts and our coffee mugs, and we've got the treasure chest of awesome goodness that you can get, full of geeky stuff like books and collectibles and games and toys and all sorts of cool stuff that will make you feel like a kid getting a Happy Meal again, except this time it's even better. There's better stuff in it. You can even have a chance to be a convention correspondent and show producer at some of the higher levels where we're going to send you to Comic-Con or New York Comic-Con or C2E2 in Chicago. There's lots of cool stuff. There's some stretch goals that we've got where we will be bringing you some really cool Patreon-exclusive programs like me re-watching all of the episodes of old shows, movies. We will have more guests joining us for those. A lot of fun stuff that we have on deck for those of you who go to Patreon and support the show. Go to patreon.com forward slash geek universe show. Check out the reward tiers. Pick one that's right for you and make sure that we can continue to bring you geek universe each and every week on this very radio station. And it's the best way to let us know that you're enjoying the show. Just what you've been waiting for. Oh, goody! My Illudium Q36 Explosive Space Modulator. Nope. It's more of Geek Universe with your host, Jim Yelton. Welcome back to Geek Universe. I'm your host, Jim Yelton. And this week, we are taking a look at the great life and the great career of the legendary Stan Lee. And one of the things that popped into my head immediately when I heard of Stan's passing was that here on the show, we do our annual or semi-annual look back at the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And Van Allen Plexico is always our guest for those shows. He's also made an appearance at 
the St. Louis Science Center for one of our first Friday events where we talked about Black Panther, and he's pretty much our go-to guy for all things Marvel, and I knew that I had to reach out to Van and just pick his brain on uh, his favorite Stanley memories, and so we're going to bring you a little bit of the conversation I had with Van uh, just last night talking about Stanley. You know, my plan was always for us to get together sometime after the holidays and we were going to do a 2018 retrospective of the MCU mm-hmm. as we always do. And then of course, earlier this week, uh, we had Stan Lee pass away and I kind of threw all of my plans for the show in the, in the trash this week, knowing that, you know, I needed to do a show talking about Stan. Yeah. And if I was going to talk about Stan, I at least needed to touch base with you and get your feelings since we spend a lot of time with your appearances on the show talking about Marvel. Mm -hmm. And uh, much like I am, you're a a very hardcore Marvel guy. Uh, Let me start off just, you know, like what's your earliest memories of Stan, do you think? I mean, do you, because I, we're both, you know, relatively close in age and, we kind of started reading comics after mm-hmm. he was out of the day-to-day operations of Marvel, and he wasn't even really writing books anymore when you and I started reading comics. So what was your first impression or first memory of Stan Lee? Well, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I started reading Marvel uh, in any serious way in around 1977, and quite a year, and... um and the only thing I knew about Stan Lee initially was that his name was at the top of the masthead, Stan Lee Presents, and I had no idea who that was. And then you start seeing him in the uh, bullpen bulletins page writing you know, the, the, the soapbox and things like that. And I start figuring out, okay, well, he must be somebody important. But then I realized nothing I was reading had he written. But then I started getting you know, some of the reprint books like Strange Tales, the Spider-Man reprints, or the Marvel Triple Action with the Avengers, or you know the X-Men, all that, and then all of a sudden his name starts popping up more, and and then I got like the um, the little paperbacks that that um, reprinted the old Fantastic Four and Spider-Man, and slowly I began to realize that that he had obviously been the foundations of a lot of this, and that I had just come along just a few years too late to really catch all that because you know I mean comics were changing and Marvel was really changing in the mid to late 70s getting away from the super super verbose comics of the 60s and early 70s into they're just starting to turn into more what they are today where the art has to carry more of the story and so Stan's way of writing a comic was very quickly becoming sort of archaic by the time we started reading, you know, where you're telling everything and you're saying what's in the picture at the same time. Um, So for a long time, I didn't appreciate him enough because I saw him as this really verbose guy that overwrote. But only later with, you know, with perspective, do you appreciate how much he created, you know, and and how much he laid down. You know, you, you have to... You have to learn all that. It's hard to just figure that out when you're a kid reading the comics, you know. Yeah, and that was one of the things that came up in a conversation I had earlier this week because you know, when you started seeing the tributes for Stan pouring out, uh, you know, things like legendary and iconic and and you know, mythic 
were words that were being used to describe Stan and his contributions to pop culture. And I started to think about it and I thought, well, I, I don't want to overdo the, the praise for this man. And yet at the same time, I don't know that you can with somebody like Stan Lee, because when you start to think about how much he actually created and how much of modern day comics is due to him, yeah. you know, I, I don't think that you can find words that are, you know, too, you know, you can't go into the realm of hyperbole when you're talking about how great <laughs> Stan Lee was. That's his world. <laughs> well, there's, yeah, yeah, exactly. There's, there's two things, Jim. There's two things. One is that we have to understand up front that, that comics are one of the more collaborative art forms. And so, you know, everything he did, he wasn't a novelist. Everything right. he did, he did in conjunction with either, you know, Jack Kirby or Steve Ditko or some, you know, the Colons or somebody like that. That, you know, so you have to always bear in mind that when, when I hear people arguing about, well, how much did he do versus how much did Jack do versus how much did, you know, Simon do versus how much did this person, that person, you know, I always have to remember, well, it's, 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 it's not really a fair question because it's not like one of them did it all and then the other took all the credit or something. It's that they right. they each did important things. And the other thing is the other thing is that he in some ways he was kind of the Steve Jobs of Marvel. And that's not a that's not a slight at all. Because the thing about Steve Jobs was that he did have Wozniak being his Jack Kirby, doing, you know, slaving away at the desk while he's being the impresario. But I mean, the thing you understand about Steve Jobs is you needed that, you know, one guy in his basement, either working on a motherboard or drawing Galactus, is not going to have the same impact if you don't have the Steve Jobs or the Stan Lee, a contributing a lot to it, but b also getting people excited about it and making people want to get into it. You you right. you, you need both. You need the creative element and you need that impresario, that storyteller, that person that can connect with the audience and get them excited. And honestly, nobody, I think, in the history of comics has ever been better at that than Stan Lee. Do you think, looking back on it, uh, that that was one of the things that gave Marvel a huge advantage over DC mm-hmm. starting – you know, with Fantastic Four number one through today, I mean, it, I mean, up until you know his his last day on Earth, he was the biggest cheerleader for Marvel, mm-hmm. and you know he was the head person of the Merry Marvel Marching Society, and and DC, while they've got great great creative talent. You know, on par with the best of Marvel, mm-hmm. DC never had that one person who was the shameless yes. publicity whore like <laughs> Stan Lee was. And I say that with all due respect Absolutely. and love for Stan because I I feel that way about stuff that I do. Like yeah. you have to go out and be that kind of you do you know out front person to get a fan base and yes. as great as the DC books were Marvel always had Stan. Yes. Yeah, I mean DC relied on its characters which were landmarks, you know, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman and all that. 
Marvels, because they were upstarts, they were new in the 60s and 70s, the face of Marvel wasn't a Superman, a Batman, a Wonder Woman. It was Stan Lee. I mean, you know, he had Spidey, he had his arm around Spidey or something, or the Fantastic Four, but it was Stan Lee. And yeah, DC didn't have anybody that could have even filled that role if they'd wanted to, I don't think. It wasn't just that nobody was doing it. It's that there wasn't anybody else like that. And you're right. You have to do that, to especially if you are the upstart. You know, you have to have a cheerleader. And I think at the time, a lot of people in the industry, and this is just my impression I get from having, you know, I was a kid at the time and then going back and reading stuff later, the impression I get is that back at the time in the 60s and 70s in particular, People looked at Stan and just kind of chuckled, you know, especially like the other comics pros and certainly DC. They just said, uh ho, you know, Stan, he's, you know, they probably used descriptive terms like you did and, and not necessarily in a, in a kind way the way you meant it. And, right, right. <laughs> and, 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 yet, and yet they, I don't think they appreciated what he was doing at the time. I don't think that they fully understood how much he was not just promoting his own work. He was promoting the industry, the the medium, the art form, and and comics for all that they. I mean, put it this way: comics were at a pretty low ebb in terms of public approval before Stan. And not that they're, you know, I think only in the last few years, because of all the big movies, have they even begun to become more universally accepted as a legitimate art form, as a legitimate legitimate storytelling medium. And I think Stan Lee was the was the man, no pun intended, Stan was the man who got that ball rolling when nobody else was. Was nobody else was even trying. Stay tuned. We'll have more of our conversation with Van Allen Plexico as we remember Stan Lee right here on this week's Geek Universe. This is Bruce Campbell. You're listening to Geek Universe with Jim Yelton. Making geekdom cool, one embarrassing moment at a time. The people spend less time thinking about sex and more time concentrating on comic books. We have far fewer of these embarrassing moments. Once again, here's Jim Yalton. Welcome back to Geek Universe. I'm your host, Jim Yalton. And we are joined this week by one of the Geek Universe All-Stars, Van Allen Plexico. He's the writer behind the Shattering Novels and the Sentinel Superhero Series. His latest book, Vegas Heist, is now available on Audible as an audiobook. And it's actually one of the... It's it's the first time that I am a character in a book, and I was very excited when Van told me he was including me in Vegas Heist. Uh, not just because it's a character in a book, but because I love caper and heist books and stories and movies, and this is a great one. If you're looking for something to read over the holidays, or you're looking for a good gift to give, Vegas Heist is available on Amazon.com, and it's available on Audible now as an audiobook, so go check that out. Let's get back to the conversation with Van and I reminiscing about our favorite memories of Stan the Man Lee. And, you know, you brought up a, a point earlier when you said that, you know, one of the first times that you became aware of him uh, was reading the bullpen bulletins in the Marvel comics and seeing Stan soapbox. And 
I've always thought that that was a stroke of genius on his part mm-hmm. to do that bullpen bulletins page in every issue of every Marvel comic that went out talking about stuff that was going on behind the scenes in the office, in the Mm. bullpen with the artists and creating this image for the reader of who these real life people were and the kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit and showing us the wizard behind the scenes. Yes. And I always loved that and thought that even when he left and, and other people took over his duties that he set the tone for engaging with the fans in a way that nobody else had done up to that point. Absolutely. And you know, he did really two main things with that. One was exactly what you're saying. He, he pulled back the curtain and he let you, the reader, feel like you were part of something. DC was ha- happy. DC was happy to have an anonymous industry producing a fantasy product, and you just enjoyed the fantasy. But with Stan, Marvel was a movement. It was a crusade. It was an organization you were part of. You were in the secret society. You were in the club. You knew what the people were doing in their offices. You knew what was going on. And and then and 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 it was in New York City. It was ha- it wasn't happening in Metropolis or you know Gotham City or something. It was happening right there. You you got the sense that Spider Man could swing in the window and and chat with Stan at any moment, and it could really happen almost. And the other thing that, that, that his bullpen bulletins did, I mean, one of them was that, bringing you in and making you feel a part of it, is once, you, once he had you a part of it, then he gave you that moral advice, right? He became a, a sort of a conscience of America to do the right thing and to be good people and to fight bigotry and racism and all the things that we, you know, in the 60s and 70s and on forward – and and he he used that platform in a very commendable way. He didn't have to, and and in fact, right. you, you could argue that it it could have been detrimental if he turned people off. I mean, you know, nowadays we see the backlash that people have toward any kind of moralizing or political standpoint in comics, and I totally understand that. But but understand, people could have reacted the same way back then to Stan, and they didn't. They pretty much universally, as far as I know, embraced it. And um, and he he sort of was one of our teachers as a people, you know, teaching us how to how to be good people. I'm I'm going to ask you some questions, and, and some of them may be easier than others. <laughs> uh, but you know, just to to kind of wrap things up uh, as far as you know how you feel about Stan and, and some of your memories. Uh, what do you think looking back on it is going to be the thing he's most remembered for? You know, that's really tough because there's so many things, but I mean, because of the movies, I think that what he's probably going to be most remembered for is creating properties or co-creating properties that became so iconic and so universal and so huge by making them more human. Even as he made them fantastic, he also made them human, 
which is something that you didn't quite as much get with other companies and other universes before him. But I think I think that I I hope that he's also remembered for being just a good person who, like I said, went out on a limb to try to spread you know, the gospel not just of comics to universities and all that, as he did all the time, but also to uh, just tell us, tell us to be decent human beings to each other while we're reading a fun story, you know. The the one thing I keep coming back to, and and I know you and I are kind of on the same wavelength with this because of the things that we write, uh, to me, Stan taught me so much as a writer about putting the character first and making the story about the character and not necessarily, you know, their, their superhuman abilities or the crazy things that they can do, Mm. uh, that if you didn't have the character that the story wasn't going to work, no matter what big action spectacle you came up with. And it just amazes me looking back on the first, you know, five years of what we consider Marvel comics, you know, from fantastic four, number one through the, the first five years, when you look at the fact that he created with, with some great talents working with him, like Ditko and Kirby and, you know, John Romita and, and all these guys to go from the fantastic four to the Hulk, to Thor, to Spider-Man, to the X-Men, to the Avengers. I mean, it's, it's just mind boggling to me that in rapid fire succession, he came up with all of these things just to wrap things up on a lighter note. Hmm. Uh, you know, a lot has been made in a lot of the tributes for Stan about his uh, cameos in all of the MCU movies. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite? <laughs> you know, I, the the most colorful one, obviously, I guess, was in what Guardians of the Galaxy two, and he was a. <laughs> it was the most. That was like one that they must oh. have been doing some serious drugs on when they came up with. The what, the one with him and the Watchers. Yeah, that was yeah. crazy. I mean, we we went from him getting on a bus or something, to uh, to that. But I guess probably my favorite one was wasn't there one? I guess it was maybe Age of Ultron, the Avengers movie, where he's. He and a bunch of other, you know, like older people are there, and he he drinks Thor's beer and gets drunk or something. Yeah, that yeah, was the good. Party. Like, that was good. I like that one a lot. That, that was good. I I also just and it's not even for him. It's he sets up the joke, but at the end of Civil War, when he's the FedEx driver that <laughs> delivers the package to Tony, yeah. and. He he says, "Are you Tony Stank?" And <laughs> that gives Don Cheadle the chance to say, "Yes, yes, he is Tony Stank," <laughs> <laughs> which is great since he came up with the name originally, you know, in 1963. So, if anybody can make fun of Tony's name, it's the guy that created Tony's name. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, thanks so much for doing this. I yeah. appreciate it. I I know you've got stuff to do and and that we did this at the last minute, but I do really appreciate it. And, uh, just to preview people for the future, uh, probably in January, we'll get together and look back at 2018 and the MCU movies and what we have to look forward to in 2019. Yeah. I can't wait. This was a lot of fun. Good stuff, Jim. Awesome. Stay tuned. We're going to wrap up 
our memorial of Stan Lee right here on Geek Universe. I'm your host, Jim Yelton, and let me remind you guys that with the holiday season coming up, you might have somebody that you want to get something really unique for. There's no better gifts and no better way to show your love of the Geek Universe than to go to our website, geekuniverseshow.com, check out our t-shirts, our coffee mugs. You might get somebody the Swindlers of Doom book. There's lots of cool show-related merch that's on our website. You'll love our List Game shirt. If you are a fan of 80s movies, you might like the Galactic Scoundrels to-do list coffee mug. So go check it out. Lots of really cool stuff at geekuniverseshow.com. Stay tuned. We will have one more look at my personal remembrance of Stan and why I love Spider-Man so much. If you've been listening to the show for a long time, you may have heard this. It's the Spider-Man story, and we're going to wrap up our look at Stan Lee with my story about Universal Orlando and Spider-Man coming up. You're listening to Geek Universe. You're listening to Geek Universe. Once again, here's Jim Yelton. Welcome back to Geek Universe. I'm your host, Jim Yelton, and we are going to wrap up our look at the iconic Stan Lee with a clip that has become known throughout the Geek Universe as the Spider-Man story. It is from one of our very first live shows that we did when I returned to my alma mater, Jefferson College. And uh, the story has a lot to do with my wife, with a trip that we took to Universal Orlando. But it really, when I think about how much I love things that Stan Lee created, Spider-Man is my favorite comic book character. He just is. And this story will tell you how much I love Spider-Man. And it's the best way that I could think of to express how I feel about Stan Lee. One last thing. I don't know if this is going to make the show or not, but my wife could not be here tonight, so I'm going to take this opportunity to talk about her since she's not here. To give you guys a, an appreciation for being who you guys are and, and who I am and loving geeky stuff like we do. About 10 years ago-ish, we took a family vacation to Florida and I was very excited about it because not only were we gonna take our two kids who at the time were three and six to Disney World for the first time, but I was gonna get to go to Universal Orlando and confront my fear of Jaws <laughs> because my parents who are here tonight are sadistic individuals and took me to see Jaws in the movie theater when I was three years old. It's taken me 40 years to get over my fear of that movie. But the highlight of the trip for me, on top of conquering my fear of Jaws, is we went to Universal, and they have a whole section that's like Marvel superheroes. And I told my wife when we went that there was only one thing I wanted to do other than go on the Jaws ride, and that was I had to get my picture taken with Spider-Man. And the cool thing is that when you go to the Marvel superheroes land, I mean, there's superheroes walking around left and right, like the characters. And I got my picture taken with the X-Men, and Captain America was walking around, and this was before all the Marvel movies, so it was like really cool. And you didn't have to pay for it because they were just walking around. But Spider-Man, being 
the biggest superhero on the planet, you had to pay to get your picture taken with Spider-Man. And I said, I don't care how much it is, I'm getting my picture taken with Spider-Man. Like that's the whole reason I went to Florida. So we went and you have to walk through a little gift shop to go into the back where they have Spider-Man. And there's a green screen because what they do is they take your picture and then they superimpose you on a comic book cover with Spider-Man. And Spider-Man was not there. Spider-Man was taking a break. The little sign said, Spider-Man will be back in 15 minutes. So I was like, we're not doing anything. I'm waiting for Spider-Man. I'll wait 15 minutes to see Spider-Man. While we were waiting and the time got closer, some other people came in to get their picture taken with Spider-Man. We were kind of looking around the gift shop, just looked all the different merchandise they had. And my wife had our three-year-old and our six-year-old and was trying to keep them occupied. And I noticed that there's a line starting to form. So I tell my wife, I have to go get in line to go see Spider-Man because I don't want to wait forever and be at the, the back of the line. So I go get in line. Now, here's the line. It's little kid, little kid, littler kid, little kid, and then me. <laughs> and nobody else behind me. And Spider-Man walks in with the photographer. And the photographer's getting the camera ready, and Spider-Man's saying hi to all the kids in the line, and I'm just at the back of the line. And I'm sure both the photographer and Spider-Man thought that I was with one of the kids, <laughs> that I wasn't a kid. So they start taking pictures, and the first kid goes up, and Spider-Man like puts his arm around the kid and is talking to him, and they take their picture. Kid goes off with his mom. Next kid goes up. He's like, hey, Spider-Man, how's it going? Spider-Man's like, awesome, buddy, how are you? Let's do this. And he like puts his arm around the kid, does the web shooter thing, and kid gets his picture taken, goes off. As they're doing this, you know, the line's going up, and I'm moving closer and closer to the front of the line, and there's nobody behind me. Like, it's just the five kids and me that are gonna get our picture taken with Spider-Man. Five kids go in, last kid leaves, and it's just me standing there with the photographer and Spider-Man. And the photographer looks at me and he says, did you want your picture taken? And I said, absolutely. <laughs> like, that's why I've been standing in this line. And he goes, oh, okay. He goes to set the camera up and he has to raise it up on the tripod because I'm taller than all these other kids. <laughs> and when he gets the tripod set, he goes, oh, there's a problem with the camera. So now he's got to fix the camera. And while he's fixing the camera, I'm standing there just me and Spider-Man. Now, I'm a grown person. I know that it's not Spider-Man. I know it's like some 17-year-old kid that is playing Spider-Man. But he can't break character because he has to be Spider-Man. And I don't want him to break character because that's going to ruin my moment. My wife comes up and she's like, what's going on? And I said, I'm waiting on Spider-Man. And she said, okay. And she left. So they get the camera fixed. I step up in front of the green screen with the Spider-Man guy. Spider-Man is shorter than I am. Which makes sense because he's a teenager in the comic. He should be shorter than me. So, so I go up and the whole time I'm watching all these kids, Spider-Man does this pose where he gets down puts his arm around the kid like he's swinging through the city with the kid. <laughs> so when I step in front of the green screen, I'm like, I don't think that's gonna work. Like in my head, I'm trying to figure out what they're gonna do. And Spider-Man looks at me and he goes, so you're ready to get your picture taken? 
And I said, absolutely. He goes, words that I will cherish the rest of my days. He says to me, do you know how to do the web shooters? And I say, are you kidding me? I'm a grown man who just stood in line with five kids to get my picture taken with you. Of course I know how to do the web shooters. And he goes, okay, I just had to ask. So on the count of three, let's do the web shooters. And I said, you're not gonna put your arm around me and like, like do the thing where we're like swinging through the city? And he goes, yeah, no, no. He goes, this is better, this is better because it'll look like we're both fighting crime together. Like we're both doing it. So Spider-Man's next to me and I'm standing there and the photographer's like, I got the camera all ready. Spider-Man says, okay, ready? One, two, three. And no joke, like I'd been doing it my whole life, which I have been, Spider-Man does this and I, bam, I'm there. Photographer takes a picture. He goes, go up to the, the front desk and they'll print your picture out for you. So I go up there, the lady behind the cash register says, which one is yours? <laughs> and I said, I think you can find it. It's on the wall there. I'm the only adult that got a picture taken with Spider-Man. And she goes, oh yeah, now I see you. And she says, that'll be $39.95. And my wife who was standing next to me at the time looks at me and says, are you happy? And I said, I'm ecstatic because I got my picture taken with Spider-Man. And she said, that's why I love you because no other man would stand in line with five other kids to get their picture taken. And I said, other kids? And she said, yes, you're my kid. <laughs> There's a reason why we don't have boys because I have you. So every chance I get, I remind her that it's things like that, that I'm glad I found her because she is not in any way, shape, or form a geeky person, other than the fact that I converted her to a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan. <laughs> She'll be very happy to hear you applaud that. But when I do things like this, she totally gets it. And she says, go do your thing. Whenever she says, go do your thing, what I hear is, go get your picture taken with Spider-Man. <laughs> because that's what makes me happy. And that's what makes her happy. And I am so glad to have found her. And I just, any chance I get to tell a big group of people that she allows me to do these things, I take advantage of that. So I tell all of you in closing, if you ever have a chance, get your picture taken with Spider-Man because it's totally worth it. He'll probably make you do the web shooter things, which is really cool. Thank you guys once again for coming. Thanks for putting up with me here at the end of the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to another exciting episode of Geek Universe with Jimmy Elton. Find out more about every corner of the Geek Universe including previous episodes, dates for our live appearances, and theme merchandise including Trivia Thunderdome t-shirts from Jim's book, The Swindlers of Doom, at geekuniverseshow.com. You can also find Geek Universe with Jim Yelton at facebook.com slash 30 minutes of geek or on Twitter using the Twitter handle at 30 minutes of geek.
Peak Universe with Jim Yelton is a production of Midnight Entertainment LLC. This episode is copyright 2017, all rights reserved. Well kids, that's all you get! That's it!